You don't like silence, do you? Oh, I can sit in it and bask in it. No problem. You want to do it? Okay. Nope. Not at all. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? <sighs> Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Oh, hi. How are you? I am good. I have been out of town all weekend. I just got back from Seattle and uh, ready to talk some Blazers because I went like two days and I had virtually no contact with what's been going on with the team. So I've been chomping at the bit to talk Blazer talk. I've uh, I've had two days off the first time in God knows how long, like back to back days off. So uh, I love it wonderful. When the Blazers have two days off because I know that means one of those days was probably spent practicing. Um, yeah, sure. I guess. Do you think they had, did they have practice today? Uh, they probably had maybe a walkthrough, but they usually leave a day early for a trip. Oh, that's right. Cause they are headed out on the road. So yeah, maybe they, yeah. Did. If they did, they probably did a, uh, walkthrough or a little light scrimmage, something like that on Saturday or Sunday. But uh, even then I highly doubt it. Probably mostly, well, mostly film. Well, in any case, it's nice that they may have gotten a little breather two days off in a row after the schedule that they have had. This week was a four games in six night affair, two on the road in Denver and Sacramento, two at home, Cleveland versus New Orleans, Denver and Sacramento, both losses, Cleveland and New Orleans, both wins. Now... Of course, recency bias, I'm feeling great about the team right now. But let's back it up just a little bit. Talk about those games in Denver and Sacramento. Just in terms of what did you see in those losses that, um, you know, what did them in, I guess, is my question, in the Denver and Sacramento games? Uh, Honestly, the Denver game was a coin toss and then there's some crappy execution, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter. Um, and it wasn't just right those, it wasn't even just those plays. Like there were plays early in the quarter where it was just not what we had come to see recently from the team, especially after four straight. I, I get that it was against lesser competition, um, with the exception of the Rockets and Thunder. Um, but I, I thought that game was kind of a toss up and I think really it was decided early on by when Nurkic got in foul trouble. Beyond that, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what it is. Sacramento game, I know a lot of people want to chalk it up to the Kings are better. It was a road back-to-back. Sacramento's not an easy team, blah, 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 blah. That Again, that fourth quarter was was pretty crappy. Um, uh, the effort and the intensity, you could see it in, in thoughts as far as his post-game comments about how they just didn't play good to start the game, and they certainly didn't close the game well. I, I don't think you can – I don't know if there's, there's any kind of coach speak that goes over it where you're like, oh, this, that. No, it was just bad. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's two games. They follow that up by getting a win over the Cavs and the Pelicans. And I I honestly think I'm going to call a Pelicans game the best win of the season so far. I would not have an argument with that. With regards – just to back up for a sec. With regards to the Denver and Sacramento games, I thought we did see a few things that the the Blazers can build on with that. One of the things about the Denver game is the Blazers hung in there with them. It was 113 to 116. And for as you know, as much talk as there's been around the league about Denver and, you know, for them for a week or so, I guess they were holding down the number one spot until they got absolutely – 
torn to shreds <laughs> by the Golden State Warriors. But anyway, Denver is a good team. We've talked about this before. And the Blazers absolutely hung in there. And I think what happened was is Nurkic got just too excited and too worked up, and which got him into early foul trouble. And if he, the next time they play each other or when he plays, you know, games that are that he's similarly potentially can get emotional about amped up for yeah if he can just control that a little better and i have no doubt seeing the maturity that he's displayed all year that he can learn from that and execute better the next time he didn't have you know the great week as far as scoring went but he still was able to facilitate when he was able to stay on the floor nurkis triple doubles yeah, yeah, that was awesome. With regards to the Sacramento game, second night of a back-to-back, obviously, on the road, and against Sacramento, who is just so fast and so relentless when it comes to just being able to run and run and run and run. It's, that's not an it's excuse, being that's young. an observation that it was – I really think it was that second quarter that did them in. That's the, that's the part that I had the biggest problem with. They were outscored 17-30 to 30 in the sec- second quarter of Sacramento. If they just played a normal – uh, quarter they you know scored 25 or whatever um they would have been okay so that was the most disappointing thing to me and that is i i don't know if they just let up or what they were thought they were doing but that was the most disappointing part to me yeah um the uh the way that those both those games went i, I don't want to take moral victories but i i think the denver game was a coin toss game but maybe maybe favored Denver and that you, you had, I mean, when you look at the box score, you have Jokic have one of his best games as a pro. Um, you have guys up and down the lineup for uh, one of his best. You thought that was one of, I mean, it wasn't that great. It was good. It was a 40 yeah. point triple double Tara. Oh, Jokic. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Nurkic. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, no, Jokic was... I was like, he had 12 points. I mean, no, that's good. But no, um, <laughs> Yes, Jokic did have an exceptional game. Yeah. And I think part of it is because poor Aminu was spent had to time move over him. and cover him yeah. most of the time. Yeah, that was, uh, that was not really like really fair for Aminu. He and Turner worked their tails off. And, and Jokic just torched him. I mean, that's that's what yeah, happens I mean, when you have a legit seven. But I mean, think about over the yeah. last couple of weeks with what Nurkic has done when teams try to put a small guy on him. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it was, exactly what It was the same thing. Him. Yeah, it was exactly the same thing. But you look at what Nurkic has done really over the last 10 games. 16 points, 11 rebounds. Hmm, Tara, that sounds an awful, an awful lot like 17 and 11. Mm-hmm. Hmm, weird. Yeah. It's almost like he's getting to that level. That's consistent production. Uh, against the Pelicans, he had 15 and 12. And the one thing that keeps popping up every night is damn near five assists. I mean, if he turns into 16, 11, 17, 11, and five, that's, that's foundational building block type stuff. Yeah. That's, I have no problem saying that, that he's able to maintain that, that he'll be able to do that. I don't know if he'll be able to finish out the year like that, but I have, I completely can see that in his future. Sometimes when we, you know, project how much we think players can do, it's a reach, but I don't feel like that's a reach. I think I feel like that's completely within. Well, I mean, if we want to reach, let's reach on Jake Lehman averaging 20 a quarter. 
Yeah, <laughs> let's. Okay, wait, let's talk super. I want to just make one observation about the Cleveland game, and then we will talk about what you just said was possibly one of their best wins of the year, the New Orleans game. The Cleveland um, game was a they, blip on the radar. Come on now. Okay, well, here's what I want to know about the Cleveland game. The The talking point after the Cleveland game was it was possibly, because people weren't quite sure, the lowest number of turnovers in a game. Does that tell us anything like, can we re- can the Blazers really walk away? Well, they're because I mean, yeah, they the they only committed four, but Cleveland only committed three. Here's the other thing: the Blazers also only committed six against the Pelicans. Like it's mm-hmm. they they are definitely trying to minimize those turnovers. One of the thing that hasn't happened a lot lately, and I, I know you where you you know where I'm going to go with this. Bounce passes in traffic to seven footers. <laughs> they've been doing that as much as they've ever no, done. No, that is it has dropped off drastically. The pick and roll dive down the middle with the bounce pass through traffic has not been there as much over the last week. Re- oh, okay, I will have to trust you on that because I, I, every time I see one, I giggle inside, and I don't really think that I've giggled any less than usual, but if you've got mat- metrics to it's not that, It's not bounce it. passes. I, and here's the thing. I've seen a few people on Twitter who are like, oh, Danny's mad about about a bounce pass again. It's like, no, it was never, and you know this, it was yeah, never it's a... it's the splitting the, defense, yes, the defender it's, it, bounce passes. It's the splitting the defender to the seven-footer on the move. Like, and it, I don't mind it at all if it's a per- good pass, great pass, perfect pass. What I mind is when it's like thrown at his ankles. If you've got Myers or Nurkic or Zach rolling down the middle uncontested, or you've got a path to them, and you decide, well, you know what? I really like bounce passes. Let me put it on the ground. No, throw it up in the damn air. Okay, so you're you're. Thank you for clarifying that. So you're not complaining about when Nurkic bounces it through to Jake. God Lehman, no. Who's cutting in between defenders? It's when Damian Lillard bounces CJ Et to uh, Nurkic. Seth, anybody who throws a bounce pass to a seven footer at their ankles. That's the okay. asking one of those guys to bend over at the waist on the move is just a jerk. <laughs> Like, do you not realize how big these guys are? Like, for what they're able to do to catch on the move at that size with the ball basically down at their ankles and knees and still gather it with elite athletes slapping, reaching, bumping, knocking those guys around. The fact that they're even able to get their hands on it and corral it is impressive, let alone when Narkic grabs it and then, like, switches hands and scoops at the rim. It's like, oh, okay, you know what would have been a whole hell of a lot easier? Tossing that over the top so somebody could go dunk it. And we've seen that more and more recently with Myers. So thank you, Evan, because I, you, I feel like Evan is, is, like, channeling my inner rage on this on this one particular Soft spot. <laughs> well, thank you for clarifying that it was the big man's. I have a better understanding of that. You know, I Nurkic will... throwing a backdoor bounce pass to Jake Lehman for a dunk. Yeah, no, sign me up for that. Put it in my veins. I, all, all the good stuff. I have no problem with that. I will challenge the notion that, okay, I could see, I could see logically why it is harder for seven footers to bend down and corral the ball when it's down low around their ankles or calves. However, I would just point out that when I close my eyes, I can picture many, many ways, many, many times seeing Yusuf Nurkic catch the ball, reach it way out and go all the way down to the, he likes to do those kinds of 
ballet moves with the ball where he's moving it out. He's bending it down. He's like going way down to the ground with his um, uh, with his rebounds when he catches them. He likes to have play with a little dramatic flair. So I think bending over at the waist isn't as the success much rate of isn't there. Stretch for him. The success rate isn't there. It's it, okay. it, it's not. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch for the bounce passes to the big men because I just enjoy the bounce passes. I think those are a blast, and I giggle every time I see them. Fair enough. Okay. So, but with regards to turnovers, that's an interesting observation. So, maybe, so I mean, I know they had like a heck of a lot of turnovers in either one of those Denver or Sacramento games, uh, but they cleaned it up more later. On. Now, now let's move on to New Orleans. The Jake, the turtle explosion in the second quarter. We gotta work on I that. I have to tell you, I was in a bar in San, in Seattle trapped by in this conversation with someone that I did not initiate and I could not get out of it and like I kept getting like little notifications popping on my phone and it was killing me I've never Jake Lehman is, is burning the world and you're sitting there stuck in a conversation that I was missing it but do, do tell give me a little of oral history of the second quarter in New Orleans or against New Orleans. Uh, Joe and Shane were out, and we had Dane, Alex, and Chris on in the post game. So there's four of us in the control room, plus our producers and our technical staff. And so we, we had a pair, a pretty full room, the control room. And uh, Jake hits the, the pull up dribble, or uh, the dribble pull up, the mid range, like he's Russell Westbrook. And I'm like, that was nasty, and that's Jake creating on his own. I'm, of course, I had to throw a little side-eyed shade in it and be like, I, when was the last, Mo Har- last time Mo Harkless did that? You know, because Alex loves her some Harkless. And then it kind of just kept going. It was the the one dribble ste- the, uh, step back to the left, fadeaway three. Then it was the uh, backdoor uh, lob and dunk, and then it was the backdoor cut. And I was like, good good God, that's that's eight straight. What, what's going on here? And then it was a three. And then it was a three again. And then it was a three again. It was just like, <laughs> oh, my. We, we were jumping up, high-fiving. Faces are melting. Somebody pulled the fire alarm. It was absolute pandemonium in the control room. So I can only imagine what it was in, in the uh, Moda Center. I mean, when he pulled up for the three and was with all the confidence in the world to, to bang that next three, I think it was his third. I can't remember if he hit two in a row and missed one. If he hit three in a row and missed one. But he took, he went to go pull one in AD's eye. And when it left his hand, it looked pure and it just caught the back of the rim. Had that one gone, I'm fairly certain that was like this, the, the first sign of the apocalypse. Like it was, it would. It was absolute insanity. He was unstoppable. He was heat checking and hitting. And the thing is, is that. This may be a surprise to probably damn near everybody outside of the Blazers organization. But Damian Lillard has said it before in practice that this dude is, when he gets hot in practice, he's unstoppable. And you can see it because the way he moves is very difficult to cover. And when he has his confidence, like really just kind of lighten it up, he's got a quick release. It's nice. It's compact. It's consistent. It's one of those things where you can easily see how simple it is for him to just kind of get hot and get going. And then the Blazers did an excellent job of just riding him. And he's had, this is what the third time he's done this this season, right? Where he's had like 15 or more in the quarter. Yeah. In a very short period. And the Blazers have done a very, very good job of when he gets this hot, they just get him the ball and get out of the way. Like they, they just let him run off a screen, catch and shoot. And it's just, it's pure. 
And I think that that's, that's something that not just in that moment and like how fun it was for them and for us to just kind of take it all in. I think this is more who Jake Lehman is going to become and not a 20 point and a quarter guy, but a guy who can easily take over a quarter, but also be a consistent threat with utilizing one skill, just running his ass off the entire game. In that period, he got more shots and ran harder than I probably have ever seen him. He looked so tired. I rewatched the quarter the next morning, and he looked so tired oh. at the eye. He was panting, yeah. just like <laughs> he was. He was. But it must have been so thrilling in the arena. I got. I had texts from five different friends who were in the arena at the time, just going, "Oh my god, I can't believe Jake Lehman right now." And um. Yeah, it it just it sounds like it was great and like I've been watching Jake a lot the last couple of weeks just because I enjoy watching him ever since he got back into the rotation, you know, since Mo Harkless has, you know, been back in and out uh, in and out in and out the in and out. Yeah. yeah, but then he he finally got it back into the rotation maybe like, you know, 5 or 6 games ago. And I've been watching and he's just plain fun to watch and when he gets it going he smiles and he yells and he like gets the He's crowd. He's a cocky SOB. I mean, you don't expect it, right? He, he's, he's been yeah, so like deep on the bench. Jake and it's like, whoa. Yeah. No, he's got some, he's got some tiger in him. Like, and it's, yeah. it's fun to see. Like when he dunks now, there's, there's a little bit of nasty behind it. Hell, there was one time in, in that scoring spurt where. He took it hard to the rim and looked like he was going to curl back and yam it. And instead, he just like Iceman Gervin just turned it over with his softest, sweetest finger roll. It was like, okay, what is who is this guy and what have you done with Jake Lehman? Because he's creating off the bounce, attacking the rim, creating off the bounce in the mid-range, coming off every screen known to man for three. He's scoring at all levels, Tara. That's... That's wild. He's he's scoring in different ways. Like you were talking about that pull up that he had. I was like, where? Yeah, where does that? Because usually he's catching it and shooting it, and not attacking off the dribble off for, for for himself. Like I I don't know if we, I can't remember if we talked about this the last time we, we recorded, but they've run post up plays for Jake Lehman. Typically, they run him off some sort of screen if they're going to run him off something early in the game. But they've been running post up action, and that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, well, I mean, don't get me wrong. If Jake is at the three, Jake's damn near 6'10. I think that get lo- that gets lost on some people. Like, Jake is stupid big. And okay. it, 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 well, tall. Yes, not tall. Thick. <laughs> no, but he's not, he's not Nick Batum skinny either. He's put on quite he, a lot yes, of weight. He, he, he has filled out since he came, came home from Maryland. Um, but, I, I, I don't want to go too crazy with the Jake Lemon praise, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I, I was a little disappointed that it took so long to get him back in in the second half. Went almost nine minutes before he got in the game. Um, wasn't able to really get anything going after that. After no, that. but I will. The Blazers put it away. And wait, let's mention the fact that Anthony Davis was there. And I know that he went out late with an injury, but he was there. Yes, and then they did a like great job maintaining the, pe- the Pelicans. And, and here's the crazy thing: um, up until the last like four or five minutes of the game, the Pelicans were shooting over fifty percent from the field. I think like ninety percent from the line. 
they were just struggling a little bit from three. And then I think they missed like their last like five threes. But if you had looked at the box score, you'd be like, how is this a ball game? But then you look down and you see the Blazers have taken basically 20 more shots than the Pelicans. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's why. Because when you've got guys like Nurkic pulling down five offensive rebounds, Dame with three, CC with two, uh, Mo with two, Evan with two. I mean, they just crushed the backboard. And then you only turn the ball over six times. And you look at the box score and you've got two, four, six guys in double figures, three guys with 20 apiece. You shoot. Uh, you hit 11 threes. You shoot 47% from the floor. You keep AD in check. Yeah, none of that is bad. No, point, that's what I'm right? saying. Yeah, like <laughs> they did well, but. Right. So let me ask you, let me ask this. So, you know, what we saw in, in the uh, playoffs was a, you know, a team that was continually blitzing and double teaming. When teams move faster, does that make double teaming harder? Yes. Um, anytime you, your, your, your opponent is forcing you to take the ball out of the basket and, and, play in a, the path court offense, it's it's easier to set up against. The other part of that is the Blazers did a very, very good job of doing what they've been doing the last couple of weeks, which is running the offense through Yusuf Durkic. Mm-hmm. Damian Lillard had an okay game. Um, he was, I think he was six of, I want to say he was six of 11 on non-threes because he was two of nine from three. So that was really only blemish on his record because he had eight assists, two turnovers, 24 points, five rebounds. Good, solid game. Um, but they did a really good job of, of changing the point of attack. Dame had eight yeah. assists. Yusuf had eight, five assists. Et so had five assists. They were running around in all the different. Yeah, they had to cover so much because the Blazers were attacking from so many different directions. Zach had four assists. Well, I don't think the Blazers have to worry too much about seeing the Pelicans in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to shave my head now. This is <laughs> You're just making all kinds of bets. Dan. I, I you am. Might, you might want to just dial back the betting cuz I re- I believe you're going to there's going to be a lot of paydays coming up for you. Degenerate gambler Dan Morang. Uh... Yeah, I hope you'll learn your lesson at some point. Well, Let's move on and talk about something that a lot of people have been talking about, and I've been wondering what your thoughts are, and that is the trade proposal that was in uh, – was at the Ringer? Yeah, it's from Jonathan Sharks. Uh, from Jonathan Sharks. Um, this is basically the pro- the CJ for Aaron Gordon trade, which probably people might be a little bit tired about because, honestly, it's been on everybody's mind and everybody's had an opinion. But what I wanted to the, – what I wanted to ask you about it – um, and this is just the the proposal of like straight up, at least right for right now, like straight up CJ for Aaron Gordon. Pro- tell me that about the pros and cons in your eyes. And I know that you've been talking about, you know, tra- CJ as a potential trade candidate for years. And, uh, you know, you've even brought up Aaron Gordon in that discussion. So walk me through pros and cons of this trade. Actually, you know what? Let me give you my pros and cons for this trade and then here. Then I will tear them to shreds. No. What? I said, then I will tear them to shreds. No, I'm I'm kidding. Because I I, I honestly, I I, I, I know there's a a million ways you can go with this trade. So it's, it's, I I understand people are like, well, okay. But I think the, the trades that are like this where there are varied viewpoints, those are the best trades. Well, and they're probably, I don't know if they're the least likely to happen or the most likely to happen. Because I think the thing about it is, I, like you said, like the ones that have the most, like that are the hardest to figure out in terms of who wins. They make the are, most sense value wise for each team. Yeah, they probably are the best. Yeah. But anyway, for me, the pros for Portland, 
in trading CJ McCollum for Aaron Gordon is with Aaron Gordon, the Blazers get youth because he's only, what, 23? Mm-hmm. They get length. He's obviously taller than CJ. And they get, having said that they did something. Because there's a lot of play, a lot of people out there in the fan base just agitating for the Blazers to just do something. So youth, length, and something. And then it, the other thing that I didn't realize until I went and looked at Aaron Gordon's contract, which I thought was really intriguing, uh, is it's really team friendly. Yeah, you found the good stuff. It goes down every year, so it's twenty one million. Then it goes down to nineteen, and then eighteen, and then the in the final year it's sixteen and a half. It's not even sixteen and a half. It's just shy of that. It's an awful party contract. So that is, I I was really surprised when I saw that. And so those are some pros if Portland was to you know say yes to this. Cons for Portland, the biggest con that I, that I could see, and it's a philosophical one. Um. And that's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, are the Blazers really, truly broken? Or is this something that is being done because of the need to do something? I don't know the answer to that. And I think you could probably argue both sides of the equation. But I think in some ways, it's not like it's not like the Blazers are, you know, you know, in 12th place and are terrible and need to get fixed They they've shown a lot of things this year so that's kind of a big con for portland is i worry about a team and i think we talked about this last week that so wrapped their identity is so wrapped up in their continuity and their chemistry making a big 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 move like this is really really risky um the other thing that i worry about is the secondary part of the article which was um you know if blazers you know, if they, they there may there may be have to be other players involved, and if the Blazers can't can't get a shooting guard back, who takes that spot? I don't know who would be the best in that position. And then there's just kind of like a third thing, and that is like kind of what happens to Zach Collins in this, and maybe he's one of the players that goes out. I don't know. So those are the biggest cons that I can see from Portland's point of view. Okay. Well. The, the I'll, I'll go from back to front here. So as far as the shooting guard is involved, uh, if Terrence Ross probably ha- has to be in the deal anyways, just to make money work out um, and for Portland to be satisfied with any kind of deal like this. So I think that solves that problem. And while Terrence Ross isn't a... Well, that's assuming an awful lot. No, I I, <laughs> I, I, I believe that that's, that that's a pretty fair assumption with how the, the talent and what the expectation is for both teams coming out of the trade. Um, but what if they don't? Well, we're not, Does we're not, Nick Stauskas play shooting no, guard? No, no, no. That, that's, that's, that's what I mean. It's, 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 not, it's not worth addressing if that's not the case. I mean, that's, that's the reality of how that deal has to kind of go down. Um, in the pecking order of NBA players so right Bla- now. So the Blazers say no if they can't get Terrence Ross. Yeah, because they, they okay. need that additional playmaking, play-finishing body. Um, that's that's okay. a, a little bit more consistent, um, but as far as how things work financially, yeah, this is wonderful. And this is there's a couple different things that I I, I would entertain in this fashion. Um, CJ's deal goes up. <laughs> Aaron Gordon's deal uh-huh. goes down. Aaron is younger, and the deal is front loaded. CJ is older, and the deal is back loaded. So from on that perspective alone and, and what that means for Portland, that's huge. Uh, having a 
player basically going into his prime years on a front-loaded contract means you could be getting Think of like somebody like Tobias Harris. I mean, I'm not saying that, that Aaron Gordon is Tobias, but he, I think he's that same kind of tier, that same kind of player where here in the next year or two, when he, when, if it does come together, like fully comes together, because he's gotten just a little bit better every year. But if it does come together for him, now you've got a guy who is very good on a team-friendly deal. When was the last time the Blazers have had that? And... Those guys are the most valuable guys in the league. When you get a Steph Curry on a dumb, cheap deal because his ankles are made of glass, or you get a Clay Thompson on a great deal because he hasn't blown up yet. Like that's what allowed the Warriors to make those moves, to be able to have the cap space to bring in a Kevin Durant, right? So if the Blazers get a guy who, in Aaron Gordon, who right now I think is playing probably at his value and now his contract is going down and his talent is going up. Now he's outperforming it. That's, that's massive. He, and then from the basketball side of things, what's the, what's the one thing that I've said about this team, Tara, the team needs to get bigger, longer, stronger, faster, more athletic. Aaron Gordon ticks every single one of those boxes and he's, and he's younger. So if, if this happens, if, if this, if this were to happen, be, then what would you expect for the remainder of the season? I still think they're they're a playoff team. I, uh-huh. I think, I mean, 20 points. You don't think it messes up their chemistry enough to no. knock them out of the... No, I, I think Terrence Ross is going to be a guy who's probably safe to give you 14 to 15 a night. And Aaron Gordon's a guy who is going to give you, I think in Portland... Um, with the kind of green light he would have here in the lack of dysfunction, since, you know, it's not Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see his 16 points a game get closer to 18 or 19, possibly approach 20. Wow. So even in the incredibly tight Western Conference playoff race, where losing a couple of games could have you out completely, you think it's worth it because it's building... Towards the I think it's better for the here and now and for the future. I think they're a better, more balanced team with Aaron Gordon and, and uh, Terrence Ross this season than they are with CJ and Mo. It's just that's the way I feel about it. I uh, I'm just so shy about these things, having you know lived through the Aaron Aflalo <laughs> trade. Yeah, but we're, how is this different than than that? Because you were trading the end of bench guys. Like, I mean, yeah, realistically. I okay, so Will Barton wasn't Will Barton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and granted, I, I didn't like that deal then, but I didn't think that was the deal that needed to be done. I, I wasn't looking at the roster and going, there's a severe roster imbalance here. That team had a true one, two, three, four, five. Like, there was a no doubt pecking order with four, sometimes five guys on the floor who could shoot. And they were a bigger, stronger, longer, more athletic team. So you think it's less risky to give up the blazer the person who's been the blazer's second most important player for the last couple of years um not necessarily less risky i just don't think it's as risky as people are making it out to be and you think the reward is tremendous not quite tremendous but I, I think they're what Dan, I like set you up for I, hyperbole. I, I know. And that's the one time I've ever had you not. No, no, no. Here, here's the thing. I found a tweet that I made, I think at like the beginning of 2017 
where if anybody's ever heard me talk about trading CJ, it's always been for a up and coming guy. So before Chris Middleton was really Chris Middleton, before Oladipo made this leap, before Tobias Harris made this leap, because I knew that value-wise, CJ was perceived one way and these guys were perceived another. And so when I see Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon's the only guy in the league right now who I'm like, yeah, that's that's the guy who can make that next step one more time. His stock's going to keep rising. Exactly. The other one is Jalen Brown. And I, I'm not quite as high on Jalen Brown and that, and I don't want to deal with the Celtics. It feels like those guys win every damn trade. Um, but when I, when I look at Aaron Gordon, I see a 23-year-old kid who his three-point percentage has increased every year. He's a mismatch nearly by everyone. I mean, who, who in the league can, can stay with him? Physically, you're talking about like the top 1% of the league kind of guys. The Paul Georges, the LeBrons, the, you know, the Giannis's. He's a six foot nine wrecking crew who can attack any mismatch. And again, what's, what's the other thing that I always say, Tara? We have siloed players, right? So, well, we just talked about Jake being able to do one thing and do one thing really well was an advantage. No, no, I, that's him being better than anybody else, basically, in, in the league in that category. I mean, as far as like running the floor, he's as crazy as it sounds. You want me to go hyperbole? I would put Jake as one of the top five guys in the league when it comes to just running, just just effective running on offense. Knowing when, where, how. Wow. It's, it's, it's an, that's something that we don't have time to explore right now, but I certainly want no, to it's explore No, it's that an later. instinctual thing that some guys just have. They, they just have this innate ability to just find those places in the right place at the right time. And it's, it's, it's very, very, very few guys in the league have it. I think it's incredibly valuable. I, I don't want to argue about that. I just think that's really, I want to see it quantified first before, <laughs> before there's your next, there's your next call. Yeah. Um, because I would be delighted for, for that to be true. Well, anyway, and I don't want to talk too much longer on the CJ for Aaron Gordon thing, because I think a lot of people have talked about it, but it sounds like you are like totally ready to go on this. If yes. this was to happen, you would be absolutely. I, I think it's the, I think it's the right move. It's the, it's the first step in remaking the team. What's the advantage to the Magic is that they now have somebody who can actually truly be a leader for that team. Yeah, you have a no doubt number there, one, and you have to clear do they a logjam. Need more than just that though. No, or is that enough? they need a premier scorer, they need a premier ball handler, and a and a playmaker. Like DJ Augustine has been their point guard. Shelvin Mack like led them in assists last year with like two point two or something like that. Um, that and they need to clear. They need to clear up the logjam in the front court. They've drafted Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba. Like they just have, they just have too many big bodies in there, and they need one less in there if they're going to try to develop those guys. Well, it is Orlando, one of Portland's favorite trading partners. <laughs> yeah, and you know they can send Mo back to Orlando. Right. Well, it's an interesting thought experiment. You got any? Do you have any? You know, percentage that you think this might possibly happen? Uh, Neil's not trading CJ. Yeah. <laughs> like that's zero. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's that's the thing. Is like I I think I finally come around to the fact that no matter what, and like barring unbelievable disaster, that yeah. CJ is going to finish his contract in Portland. So do you have have you heard any other rumors uh, out there? Uh, I've talked to that a you can share few executives around the league, and uh, I've heard Aminu's name. Um, Windhorse said that there were the, the deals mentioning Aminu's name and as well as Myers Leonard. I haven't heard any referencing Myers. I've heard Mo uh, quite a few times recently. Um, 
I, I've got a so nothing substantial. No, and this thing, but I've heard that Portland ha- is more active um, than in times in the past. So I think that's something to look forward to uh, if you're hoping for change. The other part of it is simply uh, I have made another bet. <laughs> so so I made a I made a bet with Casey Casey Holdall of the Trailblazers. I'm glad you're you're not betting money. Are no, you? No, no, no. This is this was Casey's okay, suggestion um, that the uh, the loser has to go on their podcast and talk about how great the other is for five minutes. And also the loser has to sing the praises of the other with the first tweet of the day on Twitter for a week. So, uh, but the, the bet is, will the Blazers be under the seller or under the luxury tax threshold by th- at the end of the deadline? And I'm still going with yes, because I've got a decade worth of history. In, in the existence of the luxury tax, the Blazers have paid it three times. Mm-hmm. Tres. I'm just right. So, <laughs> and and those times were after serious, serious like financial malfeasance. Right. Well, and you you could say it another way. You could say the Blazers have played it three times in the last ten years, so they're not afraid to. No, 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 no. That's in the existence of the of the of the luxury tax. They play, they've paid okay. it three times. Okay. How many years is that? Uh, almost twenty. Okay. So, and they haven't paid it in over ten years. Okay. Oh, I haven't paid it in no. over 10 years. Okay. That's what I mean. But they have paid it. Yeah, sure. They've paid it. So under what conditions now is Casey coming on our podcast to sing your praise? No, no, no. He will be, he will be saying it on the Rip City uh, report. Oh, he'll be singing your praises on the Rip City yes. report if you win. Yes. And you'll be singing his praises Here. on our podcast. Yes. Cross, pro, cross podcast I mean, betting is the new prop Casey bet. does a great job, you know, so that's not going to be that hard. I'll write your talking points for you if you need. There you it. go. Perfect. Um, yeah. Who knows? We'll see. It's getting closer early. You know, I like these early deadlines. Makes it. It's going to make it interesting. We got to uh, – Blazers have a weird schedule where after this week when they play four games, then they have a week where they only play one game in an entire week. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. It's extremely strange. That game on uh, at home against Utah on the 30th is the only game in seven, eight, nine. Ten days. Good. Very strange. God, that's weird. Uh, but that that game, the February trade deadline, that's all leading up to All Star break, of course. And today is this is Sunday. We're recording this, and Monday the twenty first, I believe, is the last day to vote for Damian Lillard for All Star. Have you voted yet today? <laughs> yes, I actually did, as we were talking earlier. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, it's not looking great for our guy. Well, no, it's looking great for him to make the all-star team, but not to start. It's, it's not looking great for him to be voted in, which no. was what my lofty goal was for him. No, he's about where I figured he'd be, but the, the, the names in front of him are a little bit weird. Yeah. And Derek Rose don't understand. That, that. one's I mean, ridiculous. I can, I can understand. I can pretty much understand the other guys. Steph, and, Harden, you know, To be honest, Russ. Damian hasn't been, you know, averaging 50 points over three games or whatever James Harden What he is doing. doing right now is ridiculous, Tara. I, I don't enjoy watching him that much, but boy, is he just unreal right now. Right. The- so Damian is not doing that right now. Damian is is with his quiet dignity and grace holding this team together 
holding them up and leading them to all be better than they are. And apparently that is just not what other people around the country and around the world see in terms of voting for their starting all-stars. But then, of course, the media gets some of the vote and the players get some of the vote. That should be fun next week when all of those votes come out. We've seen uh, a couple already. I've seen a couple national writers and local beat writers that have, have Dame on their ballot. Yeah, I've yeah, um Arnowitz and uh Zach Lowe both had Damian Lillard and they had they had Damian Lillard as locks on there. Yeah, and, and Jabari had Dame on his ballot too. Um Steph missed a bunch of games and then he's been dumb <laughs> since he came back. Uh What? What do you mean he's been dumb, Steph? St- unbelievably good. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, he's Steph has been great because dumb is not a very good descriptor. No, he he's been dumb good. Like they they No, he's been they had them, extremely good and they finally decided to give him the ball. Yeah, which is that's great. the thing is they 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 had the minute stagger um because of some injuries uh over the last 10 games, I think he's averaging like something like 12 threes a game where he's shooting like 47% or something. It, it's absurd. Like he's just yeah. crushing everything. Like he's shooting like 50 like 48 90 something like that it's so ugh. who if you had a vote who would be on your ballot for the west? okay so as much as this pains me harden is my my number one out of the west right now he has been unbelievable um i want to give it to dame but like i said steph you can it's totally within your power steph your has vote dan steph has been dumb Look deep into yourself, Dan. But I'm going to go full homer and I'm going to give it to Dan because he has done Good job. more for this team this year than at any point in time. Uh, he is, I think he has truly found the way to be like the no doubt, unquestioned, not just leader of the, of the team basketball wise, but just the, the heart and soul and knowing when and where and how to get guys going. And right in terms of the basketball, yeah, the like he's always been a good emotional, spiritual, uh, you know, community leader. But he's taken it to another level in terms of involving the guys on the court. Yeah, the the and this is kind of weird to say, probably, but him kind of deferring his shots to get other guys going to start games is like that's that's a big deal. Like in the NBA, for him to basically switch off for the first half as far as scoring goes and be dedicated to getting everybody else going, that says a lot about his character because there's a lot of guys in the league that are not foregoing shots no matter what. Yeah, what you're talking about is all those first halves where he has six or seven points. And six or seven assists. Six or seven points, yeah. And he's he's just getting guys going. And I think that's been the – Really, the key to Portland moving uh, up the standings again after having that unbelievably just brutal period, uh, it's been Dame's playmaking and, and and on-court quarterbacking and the offense running through use of Nurkic. I think those are the two biggest uh, reasons for uh, their effectiveness increasing. Um, okay, but we're talking about your ballot for the West. Yes. Who else is on it? You got three back or front court players, don't you? So I'm going to go with AD, and I'm going to go with Jokic, and then I'm going to go full fan guy, and I'm going to go Luca. Paul George. Oh. Paul George probably deserves it because he's been the, probably the best two way player in the league outside of Giannis. But you're leaving Kevin Durant off. I'm huh? leaving Kitty off. Screw that snake. <laughs> Okay, I have a harder question for you. Okay. 
Who are your East Eastern Conference? Oh, that one's easy for me. I'm going uh, Kyrie Simmons. Uh, I want to give it to Kemba because he's Charlotte guy in Charlotte. Um, but Kyrie and, and Simmons have come on lately in the last month and been insane. Uh, and then the, the front court's easy for me. Giannis, Kawhi, Joel. I mean, that's that's scary. Like those yeah. three guys in the front court are. Did you want to know who I would put on my ballot? Yes. Thanks for asking. Well, I was in the West. In there. Uh, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. Taking Steph uh, over Harden, I, huh? Yes. Okay. Yeah i I don't really fundamentally have a problem with Harden, but that's like for another time. Um, but in this case, Steph, because I want Steph to have all of the recognition that he should be getting that he's not because of Kevin Durant. However, I also put Kevin Durant because I think he's really good and he probably should be on there. Um, <laughs> and then Jokic, you'd be proud of me. Well done. That I chose Jokic and Anthony Davis. So we're the same except for Kevin Durant. I chose Kevin Durant. I, I went then, Luka just because the the fun factor. Like, no, I like that. That's fun. Um that I like that better. I, you know, if I hadn't already mailed in my ballot, I would maybe <laughs> change it. Uh, and then in the East, I we're almost the same. I had Giannis and Bede, and I had a hard time with like I was like, uh, I mean, I know he's really good, but I and I couldn't figure out anybody else to put in there. Giannis and Bede and Kawhi, and then for my guards, I had Kyrie and Bradley Beal. Okay, I can go. I can see Beal. Real deal. Beal has has been great. Um, yeah, sans John Wall, he's been phenomenal. Weird how that happens. Yeah, he's been outstanding, and I think he. <laughs> I would love to see him get recognition. Anybody for the contest slam dunk? Three point. Listen, anything? if we're not getting Seth and Steph, yeah, the, get, getting Seth and Steph in the three point contest, and then since the the, the All Star Games in North Carolina, can we just go grab Zion for the weekend and put him in the dunk contest? That's that's really all I want to see. I want to see the six foot Especially seven, two hundred eighty five pound, eighteen year old out jump and out dunk everybody in the world. Like, yeah, because he's not even going to think about it. He's just going to do do something that like whatever he thinks of. Like, it will be. I the, think they should go back to doing it that way, like they used to. I just watched the ESPN, um, the beautiful game or whatever mm-hmm. the the series. You know that twenty hour mini series yeah. that they did about basketball. And I watched the one about the first slam dunk contest in the ABA. And uh, it was so funny because, like, nobody knew what to do because nobody told them what to do. And they just, like, kind of handed him a couple of balls. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'll dunk them both. Figure it out. Yeah, no, I- <laughs> yeah. I think they should go back to that. Like, no preparation, no props. Just do something. Yeah, and, and Zion has just been – I mean, the, the man 360 windmilled in a game. Just – they they did the measurements on him like uh, basically since the the combine records have been kept, which is I think since two thousand. Nobody his size has ever recorded anything close to his vertical. Uh, nobody his nobody his size has like had anywhere close to his like bench reps. Like physical profile wise, nobody in the NBA in the modern era has ever existed like him. Literally the only person who's even remotely close is LeBron James, and he right yeah. now is as big as LeBron. Like peak LeBron was now like, <laughs> yeah, for all this LeBron weighs 240. No, he doesn't kids. <laughs> LeBron's 275 to 290 at times. Uh, if you go back and look at his Miami days, that's as close okay. to Zion as we've ever seen in the NBA. And yeah. so 
Yeah, that would. Okay, we're gonna we gotta, no, we gotta no, wrap no, this no, up. And no, Zion no, is not in the no, league. No, I don't yet. care. We're gonna talk Zion all the time. This is the all Zion podcast now. Did you not know? Okay. I updated it. You can do that on your other podcast. You can do that on your show. You have a whole show that you could go and just talk about. Zion. We I'm we sure do that from time Shane to time. And Joe would love to talk about it. <laughs> One of these nights when, like, on the second night of a back to back, when there's just you know. When the Blazers are are just you know dead tired and you have something you could have a whole Zion segment. Oh, you mean on uh, Tuesday night? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the Blazers uh, they go on the road. They got a three game road trip, but they haven't been on the road for that long in a while. Uh, Utah, OKC, and Phoenix. Utah, OKC back to back, and then they play Phoenix, and they finish out the week in Atlanta. That Utah-Oklahoma City is going to be real tough. What are you going to be watching for in those games? Can they compete with Utah? Uh, Utah has, has, has beat the crap out of them in both matchups. Yeah, I mean, it, it ain't even been close. Uh, and it's crazy because Utah has had a rough time this year, but they, not with Portland. Well, the yes, and over the last, what, probably 15 games – 15 to 20, Utah has kind of figured it out. Donovan Mitchell has gotten better. Um, yeah, he's returned to form. Yeah, he's had a couple games where you're just like, oh, oh, he, that guy, gotcha. Uh, Was that a game that – is Utah a team that Nurkic found himself in early foul trouble against? No, I think that was a game – What was the problem with – like the Christmas Day game. So the Christmas Day game, I think, was kind of like one of those one-off games where Portland kind of – I think they got a little too cute and they went away from Nurkic and they never mm-hmm. could really get back to it. Um, but, I mean, you look at what the Jazz have done over the last 15. They're 11-4. and four, So guess what? They're, they're getting good again. And Donovan Mitchell has been the, the key to that. He's averaging 23 a game, shooting uh, 45, 38, 80. I'd, I'd just really like to see Portland beat Oklahoma City, though. I think that's the more important one, right? Yeah. They got Utah one again at the end of the month. So. And that'll be game number four, so they'll be done with them. Uh, for tie-breaking purposes, you want to beat Utah, and you want to show you can win in Utah uh, on the road. Yeah. Um, that and, you know, you want to have those head-to-head wins to kind of get you one game up and put them one game down. I, I just I want and I wanted Nurkic to see some success against these elite centers. And he has against Adams, just not against Gobert yet. Yeah, but they still they lost the last time they played Oklahoma City at the beginning of the month. Yeah, here's the thing: is that that OKC game, their Blazers are going to be coming off a of back to back, and they're probably going to get into OKC at like three o'clock in the morning on a back to back, playing a tough game. So unless so you're calling that one a schedule? Yeah, one. unless that Utah game is over early either way and the Blazers can get a few guys some less minutes than normal, which I just don't see happening either way. I mean, do you see a blowout for Portland or Utah in that game? No, I don't see a blowout, but – and this is only like a minuscule change. But I have seen – and this I have seen the Blazers very, very, very slowly – give incrementally more minutes to Zach Collins alongside Yusuf Nurkic. So I'm wondering if maybe we'll see an extra minute of, you know, of Zach Collins alongside. I would really like to see how he does against these elite centers alongside Yusuf Nurkic. So it may be even an experimental thing. (laughs) Like, let's see how this looks because 
I really think that they're trying to figure out how ready Zach Collins is to play the four alongside Nurkic. If you're serious and what everybody is saying about getting rid of Amino, they're going to need somebody to get in there and play the four alongside Nurkic. And I think they're bringing Collins in a little bit here and a little bit there. And those two games would be an excellent barometer for what would happen if they made a trade where Aminu left. Yeah, and I think in, in those instances, you kind of have to be prepared. And that is something that has popped up over the last two weeks after basically having no minutes alongside Nurkic. He's getting a couple a night. And, mm-hmm. it, it, and from the outside looking in, it looks an awful lot like an audition. I mean, that, that, is that what, when you see it, is that what you see? Yeah, that's what I wrote about in Mom's Favorite today. So I'm, I'm I'm curious. So and then Phoenix and Atlanta. So the Blazers, those are, you know, those are teams like Phoenix just took Oklahoma City tonight to the very end of the game and lost by two. Atlanta has been playing well in fits and starts. So neither of those guys the, of those games are gimme gimme. So Blazers have are, are back to having a pretty tough schedule here. And they have one, two, three, four games in six nights. Before they get their strangely weird break. <laughs> yeah, that, that break. Every time I look at it, more it's like, what, what, how, yeah. what happened here? I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to come up with other things to talk about. Maybe we can have a Zion segment next week because uh, we only have one, yeah. one game to talk. We'll only have one game to talk about. So we'll give you your Zion two minutes. It's almost time to start to start looking at the draft, Tara. Uh. <laughs> I think I think we have other things to talk about. You, you you sound like uh like Casey Holdall there. You, you you had a little bit of a Casey laugh. You did you catch the the laugh that Casey had? The laugh that Casey had. Yes, it was it was it was all over the radio. So Casey's been sitting in with with Travis Demers um yeah. on the road, and uh, the the laugh that Casey Holdall had in a game, uh, I believe it was was it like a, I believe it was Kawhi Leonard type? It was, laugh? Yeah, it was it was uh the exact example that they compared it to on the radio was Woody Woodpecker. Okay. <laughs> he was he, he just turned the ball over, finished. He was that one play where Evan looked like he was going to finger roll and he kind of half turned it into a dunk. I don't know if you remember it. It was really awkward but also kind of nice looking. But Travis said something about, "Well, no, he dunks it." And Casey just kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and they've remixed that laugh about 18 different ways and basically made it the outro on the radio now. So, Oh, no, it was perfect. When you listen, when you're when you're on enough, I'm just not quite sure how we got on this topic. You, you had a <laughs> from Zion. No, you, you had a laugh there that was a little reminiscent. Oh, so. <laughs> yes, we'll have it. We'll have to have a support club for people that have weird laughs. Hey, I have all of the laughs. Me and Casey. No, no, no. And we'll get Kawhi. You kidding me? And we'll uh, all sit down I sound like when I when I laugh sometimes I sound, it sounds like you're letting the air out of a balloon. So I have no no place to laugh. But when, when you're when you're on enough, you just get. You just got to live with those moments and embrace them. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. There's a blood moon outside that we need to go see, apparently. Right. I thought there, And I thought there was an eclipse going on, too, but it's cloudy, so I can't see anything. That's what I was doing, like, right before you called. Uh, so, anyway, this week I – let's see. I just had my mom's favorite – call them out we're gonna have a what podcast coming out later this week if you want to follow me i'm on i am on twitter at tcb bigs that's also my instagram and like every other account that i have if anybody wants to try to find me on other channels at tcb bigs 
And let's see, our next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup is going to be on February 10th against Dallas. That's a noon game. We'll be at the McMinimans on Broadway. And we'd love to see all the women we know who love basketball to come out and join us and cheer on the Blazers. Dan, why don't you take us out of here? Oh, we got to admit, don't forget to mention Blazers Edge Night. I was just going to say, yeah, Blazers Edge Night against the Brooklyn Nets. It's coming up. Um, it's actually much closer than you think, and we're kind of getting down to the home stretch here as far as donations. Hey, look, it's Jerry Bayless playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's weird. Uh, sorry, it's on the Focus. TV behind me. Um, if you have the ability to donate, please do. Uh, if you go to the Blazers Ed- or the uh, Blazers uh, Ticketmaster site, use code Blazers Edge on checkout. You can pick up tickets for as low as I believe nine dollars, nine or ten. I can ten dollars. Okay, so the, the other ones may be all gone, or they didn't have that section this year. I can't remember what it was. Either way. Please help. It's it's one of the absolute coolest things in the world. I'm I've I've got the pre and post game show for Blazers Outsiders, but I'm trying to work a way that I can be there and participate in the event at the same time because it's absolutely unequivocally one of the coolest things that we get to do every single year. When you see these kids get into the arena for the first time and maybe the only time they ever have that opportunity, it is like a kid on Christmas just cranked up to eleven. And 10 bucks allows you to, to help somebody do that. And it's absolutely 100% worth it. Um, beyond that, you can find Joe, Shane, and I on Blazers Outsiders before and after every game on NBC Sports Northwest. Uh, you can find me on social media at DMARANG, at D-M-A-R-A-N-G for everything. Insta, IG, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is you want to do. I don't know. Burn Facebook. I, I don't care at this point in time. <laughs> uh, like, subscribe. Gracious. Rate, review, undo it all, do it all over again. Uh, we are incorporating some new things into the feed. If you guys have noticed that the podcast is appearing on every single link, basically on Blazers Edge, that's a, one of the few new looks and things that you'll see around. Um, we'll have a few other things coming up. Uh, you'll, you'll feel or see here in the podcast, and we'll talk about that more as, as it comes. But uh, other than that, I think we're good to go. So for Terrible and Biggs, I'm Danny Moring. We'll catch you guys next time, and bye!